Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Peter Schiff Show. The U.S. dollar had a pretty big decline today. In fact, the dollar opened stronger. The dollar index began the day above 95. In fact, it had closed above 95 twice during the week. But then it sold off. We were down about 0.7. We closed below 94.50. I think we traded down in the 94.30s earlier in the day. You know, the dollar index, even though it has been above 95 on many days over the last uh, several weeks, it has never managed to close on a weekly basis above the 95 handle. And I have been talking on this podcast for some time that I believed that 95 or anything above 95 represented significant upward resistance for the dollar index. And I did not expect the dollar to make much headway above 95. And so far, that call looks to have been accurate. The catalyst today for the dollar's sharp reversal, and this was probably one of the biggest down days for the dollar this year across the board weakness which is likely to continue uh, and it believe me we're going to have days that are going to be much much weaker than this i believe uh later in the year and of course next year and the year after that i mean i think the dollar is going to get particularly beaten up but the catalyst today was more tweets uh from president trump where he is expressing anger not only at the Federal Reserve, right, or not only at the ECB and at the Bank of China, because he is accusing uh, both Europe and China of being currency manipulators, of taking advantage of us uh, by weakening their currencies. He's saying that, you know, a weak currency gives you an advantage when it doesn't. When it comes to trade, it's a strong currency that gives you the advantage because trade is all about imports. How do you get more stuff for your own citizens? And you know the way you pay for that stuff is by exporting. But the goal is to export 
as little as possible to import as much as possible, right? I mean, that's how all transactions take place. If you're a buyer, you always want to pay the least and get the most, right? So you pay for stuff when you export because you're you're taking goods or resources and you're using them to produce stuff for other people. But you're not producing stuff for other people because you're charitable. You're trying to earn the money to buy stuff for yourselves that other people made. And having a strong currency is a huge advantage because it means that you can claim a greater portion of the global output. And because the dollar has been so overvalued, thanks to the generosity or the stupidity of our trading partners, Americans enjoy a greater consumption than what would otherwise be available to them if we were limited by our own collective production. So we actually have the advantage uh, in, in this, but by calling out uh, China and and the ECB for deliberately weakening their currency, you would think that maybe Trump wants to fire back. You know, Donald Trump doesn't control the Fed, and I'm going to get to his comments about the Fed uh, shortly, but the Treasury Department can intervene in the foreign exchange markets. And maybe if Donald Trump really believes that these other countries are deliberately weakening their currency, and if he has no control over the Fed, but he does have control over the U.S. Treasury, he can have the Secretary of the Treasury intervene, go into the foreign exchange market, and start dumping dollars, right? I mean, and now trying to drive the dollar down so that we can reclaim the advantage, or at least the way he looks at it, he thinks that weakness is strength. And to me, this and his interview yesterday, you know, with Joe Kernan on CNBC shows that really unofficially, I mean, we have a weak dollar policy, whether Trump wants to come out and officially proclaim that we have a weak dollar policy. That is what we do, because remember, the strong dollar policy, I guess that was pioneered by Rubin uh, in the Clinton years, that was simply talking about how a strong dollar was in the national interest. There really wasn't any teeth to the policy. It was just repeatedly talking about how a strong dollar was in the national interest. And so that meant we had a strong dollar policy. But now when you have the president, not just the secretary of the treasury, coming out and saying that a weak currency is good, a weak currency gives you the advantage, and that other countries are taking advantage of us by weakening their currency. You know, when he specifically calls out China too, and talks about how the Chinese currency is dropping like a rock. Yeah, it has dropped recently, but over the past year, it's basically unchanged. It went up, and then it came back down. And if you go back to the beginning of the Trump presidency, the Chinese yuan is stronger now, meaning the dollar is weaker than when Trump uh, was sworn in. Uh, So if a weak currency gives you an advantage, we've had the advantage over China since Trump has been president because our currency has weakened against the yuan, yet China is printing record trade surpluses and the United States is, you know, putting, is is posting record deficits with China despite this advantage. But if you have the president coming out, not just the Secretary of the Treasury, and basically saying a weak dollar is in the national interest. Well, that that would constitute a weak dollar policy because it's the same thing in reverse as when we had a strong dollar policy, except it's even weaker because the strong dollar policy was basically the Secretary of the Treasury. He was the one that came out and implemented the policy uh, by espousing the rhetoric. But now it's coming right from the top. 
the weak dollar policy is coming directly from the president himself. He's, you know, it's not being, you know, filtered through the secretary of the uh, of the treasury. So if we have a weak dollar policy, you would think that that would be more successful than the strong dollar policy because the strong dollar policy made no sense because everything we were doing was inconsistent with a strong dollar, right? That's I, I my my analogy used to be, you know, a student that cuts class and smokes pot and doesn't study claiming, you know, telling his parents he has an A policy. Well, fine, having an A policy is all well and good, but if you don't study and you don't go to class and you're always stoned, you're probably not going to get A's. Well, if that student had an F policy and he's doing the same thing, the policy has a much better chance of succeeding uh, than when he has an A policy. So given all the things that we're doing that should be weakening the dollar, it should be a lot easier for the president to achieve the objective of a weak dollar than it was for prior presidents to achieve uh, the objective of a strong dollar. So I think we're going to be successful in this weak dollar policy. The problem is it is not going to be the panacea that President Trump thinks it's going to be. You know, one of the criticisms that he's had, and th this was big on the interview with Joe Kernan yesterday on CNBC, and then again reiterated in more tweets today. And by the way, you know, if you look at this interview, you can see it on, on YouTube if you didn't catch it live. But, I mean, Joe Kernan, when he talks to the president, I mean, he's like a schoolgirl with a crush on a teen idol. I mean, he cannot get enough of a President Trump. Trump could do no wrong uh, when it comes to uh, Joe Curtin, Kernan, who is just so completely smitten uh, by the President of the United States. But he was very critical of the Federal Reserve's rate hikes. He said that, you know, he doesn't like it. You know, it is, uh, you know, it is working against all the progress that we've made, that the Fed shouldn't be raising rates. You know, he actually made a very good point in one of his tweets <laughs> where he said, we have all this debt that's coming due and the Fed is raising rates, like question mark, like, hey, doesn't the Fed realize how much debt we have? And a lot of it is short term and a lot of it is coming due. Why is the Fed raising interest rates when we've got all this debt that needs to be refinanced? You know, they should be keeping rates low to make it easier. But the bottom line is if Trump is worried about rising interest rates, especially considering how much debt we have, why did he just add so much more? Why did he cut taxes and increase government spending, making those deficits even larger and therefore making higher interest rates even more damaging to the economy? And in fact, not just because those deficits are larger, but the larger deficits in and of themselves lead to higher interest rates, which then has to imply to the entirety of the national debt, given the fact that the maturities are still so short. And by the way, Trump has done nothing to lengthen the maturity of the national debt, which is what he claimed he was going to do when he was a candidate. In fact, he has done the opposite of that. He has shortened uh, the maturity of the national debt, therefore created even worse exposure to the U.S. government of rising rates. And now he's critical of the Federal Reserve for actually raising interest rates. And this critique of the Fed, I mean, first of all, this is going to be a big problem for the Fed because now the Fed is, you know, damned if it does and damned if it doesn't. Because let's say uh, the Federal Reserve or Jerome Powell, their next move is to telegraph that maybe they're not going to hike as many times 
as the market believes, the impression is going to be that Trump got to Powell, that the political pressure is now undermining the Fed, which is a big, big problem for the country and the Fed. So obviously Powell recognizes this. So now, you know, even let's say he was going to do that anyway. Let's say that Powell of his own volition was going to back away from the rate hike. But now if he does it, it looks like it wasn't of his own volition. It looks like it was because of Trump. Now, he can come out and he could say, well, you know, Trump had nothing to do with it, but the market's going to go, yeah, right. We don't believe that. So now maybe he's in a box where he might raise rates, even though he might not have, just to prove that he's independent and not being influenced by Trump, which could cause people to think, hey, maybe the Fed is doing something just to prove a point, even if it doesn't think it's the right policy. But either way, it is going to give... America's creditors pause if they think that there is more political influence on the Fed. Now, of course, there is political influence on the Fed. I think it's been happening all along behind the scenes. See, the difference is uh, Trump is airing that dirty laundry in public, right? It's one thing for Trump to make a private call to Powell and say, hey, buddy, help me out here. You know, I nominated you. Uh, you know, you got to keep this bubble going. You know, we got to we, I got to get reelected. So do me do me a solid here and cut rates. Right. I mean, he's not supposed to do that, but at least he does that privately. And now nobody realizes what's going on. And then Powell can still look independent when he acts. But if you've got Donald Trump who can't resist, you know, tweeting and grandstanding and, and just, you know, airing all this in public. Well, now, you know, you make it harder uh, for for this to happen. But now you, you you make it more obvious, right? Before it was just a guess. People could say there's some influence. But now, hey, they know that. And the whole idea is the Fed is supposed to be independent. Now, I know the independence is just a pretense. But now we, we risk letting the entire world know that Fed independence is a pretense. Now, you know, obviously, too, there have been many, many more rate hikes during Trump's term, and he's only been in office for, what, not even two years, and the Fed has hiked rates more times since Trump was president than they did in the entire eight years where Obama was president. So Obama really got the coast at zero percent, and I think Janet Yellen really was doing uh, Obama a favor. I think she was very reluctant to, you know, you know squash his legacy uh, by raising rates as much as they should have, and so now the Fed is, you know, catching up. And I still think, in reality, the Fed has moved too little too late. You know, Trump's criticism of the Fed is is accurate in that the Fed is definitely worthy of criticism, and they should be getting a lot more than they are. But Trump is criticizing the Fed for the wrong reasons. He's saying, you guys are mis- making a mistake. You shouldn't be raising rates. But what he should be saying is, you never should have lowered rates in the first place. You guys inflated a bubble. I mean, he was right. As a candidate, he was very critical of the Fed and the bubble they created. Now he's critical because they're not supplying more air to keep the bubble from deflating because now it's his bubble. And the last thing he wants to do or or the last thing he wants to have happen is for uh, that bubble to pop. Uh, So he's upset that the Fed is not going to be supplying more air. But I think the criticism of the Fed and at the same time calling out other central banks for claiming an unfair advantage by trying to weaken their currencies also through interest rate policy. Like you say, hey, we're raising rates here in in the U.S. and these other countries are not. 
right? So they are, you know, gaining the advantage. I think uh, the investors are now going to start to read, you know, between these lines. And I mean, they really don't have to read between the lines. I mean, it's the, the print is pretty bold. And in fact, if you look at the market, I've noticed over the last couple of days, I've seen a shift in investment flows. A lot of these value-oriented stocks, defensive stocks that have been used as sources of funds, right? Portfolio managers have been blowing out of their defensive stocks, the telcos, the tobaccos, uh, stuff like that, in order to raise money to get more aggressive in the momentum stocks because everybody is so excited about how great everything is and nobody wants to miss out and everybody wants to be fully on board uh, with the highest beta stocks. You know, that seems to have be shifting. I think this is the beginning of what's going to be a huge trend where you see a reversal of those flows out of these spec names back into the defensive names as people start to have a little bit more concern. I mean, they've thrown caution to the wind, but now maybe uh, with uh, what's going on here, people can see why is Trump doing this, right? Why is Trump being so critical of the Federal Reserve? I think that Trump is trying to get ahead of the economic uh, problems by, you know, preparing to blame it on the Fed. I mean, that's very convenient and certainly a populist president. And Trump, you know, is a populist and he was elected on a populist uh, platform. Uh, banks are not very popular. Bankers and the Fed is, of course, the top banker. And, you know, Trump was like, hey, I've got this great economy. This is the greatest economy in the history of the country. I mean, he repeated that claim, that lie again uh, to Joe Kernan on CNBC. And, you know, maybe Trump, you know, believes that adage. I mean, if you just repeat a lie often enough, then, you know, people accept it as the truth. But he repeated that lie about we having the strongest economy ever. But he is worried that the Fed is raising rates. Now, first of all, if the economy really was so strong, why would he be so afraid of higher rates? I mean, rates are still ridiculously low. If we've got the strongest economy in the history of the country, it should be able to withstand higher than a 2% interest rate. Uh, so maybe Trump realizes that the economy is not really as strong as he is pretending. But I think he is laying a foundation of blame because when the economy tanks and we go into recession, the Fed can now say, you see, I mean, Trump can now say, you see, Look what the Fed did. They screwed up all of our hard work. We had all this momentum. Everything was going great. And these guys kept raising rates. I told them not to. I said it was a mistake. But, you know, I, I have no control over the Fed, right? It's independent. And look what the Fed did. They screwed up this whole recovery uh, by jacking up interest rates, right? So now he's trying to shift the blame away from himself because he can't really blame Obama anymore because he's gone and Trump has claimed credit for the economy. He doesn't want to blame trade, right? He wants to blame because he, he's the one that launched the trade war. So he wants to blame the Fed. Now, I think the Fed is positioning itself to blame Trump. Right. Because they're not going to accept responsibility. They're going to blame the slowdown on Trump. And what are they going to, you know, call out Trump for the trade war, the trade war. If you go back and listen, after I did my last podcast, I think later that day or the next day, we had the two day uh, Senate and congressional hearing where Jerome Powell uh, went down and he was grilled 
uh, before uh, a bunch of grandstanding congressmen, uh, you know, asking him questions. You know, all the Republicans are trying to validate everything Trump is doing, and all the Democrats are trying to basically say Trump's going to destroy uh, the economy uh, with a trade war. And, you know, in this case, the, the Democrats are actually closer to being accurate than the Republicans although the economy was going to implode on its own with or without the trade war. But yes, the trade war uh, will hasten its demise uh, and will you know, provide the opportunity for everybody to blame the trade war and ignore the underlying problems that are much bigger uh, than the trade war. But if you look at the way Jerome Powell was able to answer those questions, right, when he was, the Democrats were saying, isn't this a mistake? Isn't this critical? He was very careful in the way he answered the question. See, he said that free trade is good, right? And that low tariffs are better than high tariffs or, you know, no tariffs. So he was very much saying that free trade benefits the the country. And so he said whether or not the tariffs or the trade war is a negative or a positive depends on whether or not the intended results are achieved. Because Trump is saying that higher tariffs are simply a way to get to lower tariffs, right? They're just a negotiating chip, a bargaining chip. You know, we're going we're gonna to put these big tariffs on there. We're going to threaten even bigger tariffs. And as a result of that, the, our trading partners are going to cave and they're going to lower their tariffs. And we're going to end up with freer trade and lower tariffs all over the world. And therefore, this whole thing is going to benefit. So what, what Powell was saying is that, yes, if Trump is able to utilize these tariffs in a way that ultimately reduces tariffs, then it's going to be a good thing. But if he if he is not able to do that, then it's a bad thing. So he's left the door open. He didn't come right out and say Trump is making a mistake. He said, well, give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see. We don't know if he's making a mistake because we don't know how this is going to end. But if it doesn't deliver those results, if the economy goes into recession and the tariffs are still there, right, and nothing has changed, right, we haven't beaten our trading partners into submission, right, and then we go into recession, well, now Powell can say, well, look, yeah, you know, that's what I warned you about. I mean, we the, the president wasn't able to achieve his objective. And look, the economy is now in recession. In fact, Trump upped the ante again today on China, you know, bringing out the big guns Apparently today, Trump said that he is getting ready to impose tariffs on every product that Americans import from China, like $500 billion. That's all in, right? I mean, you can't go any deeper than that. Once we've said we're, we're, we're subjecting everything to tariffs, see, that would include, remember I talked before, that would include apparel, that would include shoes, right? You know, if he's going to subject every good, well, then you're all in, right? And once you've gone all in, well, I mean, there's really not much else you can do other than maybe jack up the amount of tariffs, right? So he didn't say how high the tariff would be. Would it be 5% across the board, 10%, 20%? I don't know, but this is it. I mean, once you once you subject everything to tariffs, you don't have much more to do other than simp- simply up the level. Uh, and if the Chinese haven't backed down by then, well, they're probably not going to back down. So I think we're going into this recession and everybody is positioning to blame everybody else. And I think the Democrats are going to sit back and they're just going to love this because you're going to have a populist president presiding over a recession, blaming it all on the Federal Reserve, saying the monetary policy is too tight. 
right, which is going to scare the hell out of our creditors and scare the hell out of forex traders. And then you're going to have the Federal Reserve blaming Trump for the tariffs and the trade war. And the Democrats just sit back and like, hey, this is great. As these guys are blaming each other, we're going to get all the votes. Because remember, if the Fed is to blame, a lot of people are going to say, wait a minute, Trump, you appointed Powell. He's your boy. How are you blaming the Fed? But obviously, if it's going to be about Fed bashing, I think that I think the Democrats are in a better position to bash the Fed, you know, based on what their message typically is, is something for nothing, rather than the Republicans who also have, you know, sound money people that are part of their base that may not like the fact that the president is bashing uh, the Fed and saying monetary policy is too tight when we know it's the opposite. We know it's too loose. You know, I mean, the Fed has been printing money. The Fed has got interest rates artificially low. But this is going to accelerate the inflationary trends that are out there. You know, Canada reported their numbers today. Their inflation rate is now two and a half percent on a year over year basis. That's a six year high. That's going up. And remember, the Bank of Canada has been justifying its failure to raise interest rates more based on the fact that inflation was too low. You know, when it was below 2%, they were like, hey, we still need to get it up to 2%. The cost of living is still not rising fast enough. We've got to make sure it rises faster. Well, now it's gone through the speed limit, right? Now it's now it's 2.5% and headed to 3 and then higher than that. And, and so, you know, perversely, the Canadian dollar had a big jump today, one of its biggest gains in years. Um, based on now the fact that, well, the, the Canadians are more likely to raise rates. And they are because it's hard for them to make the excuse that they're going to keep rates down because there's not enough inflation when they're at 2.5% and going higher. But I think uh, the Canadian Central Bank is going to be raising interest rates much higher than anybody thinks. I think the same thing is going to be true across the board as inflation really runs out of control all over the world. But I think the world is going to be more likely to try to do something about it than the United States, which is going to do nothing about it, right? Especially Trump. I mean, Trump is going to be egging the Fed on to create more inflation, you know, because that's, he's still a real estate guy. Real estate guys like inflation. It wipes out the value of their debt. It keeps the value of their real estate going up. This is the perspective that Trump has. So he's going to be pounding the table for cheap money, which, you know, politicians have done that all around, uh, all over the world. You know, especially in, you know, banana republics and stuff like that. As the economy weakens, I mean, the Fed is going to be inclined to do that anyway, because now its mandate is to prop up the economy. The inflation numbers be damned. I mean, they're not going to care. They've already said, okay, 2% symmetrical. I mean, whatever that means, right? So the inflation is going to just overwhelm and that's going to be even worse for the dollar. Gold prices up a little bit today. But still, I mean, if you look at the price of gold, it's ridiculously low uh, given, uh, you know, what's going on. I mean, we got below 1250. We never got below 1200. I mean, that's a, another solid level of support. Uh, we closed today up about eight, nine bucks back above 1230. Gold stocks caught a nice bid right into the close, uh, closing up on the highs of the day. Remember, I've been talking about the fact that the recent decline in gold prices was not confirmed. Uh, by a dip in gold mining stocks. In fact, money was flowing into gold stocks at the same time it was flowing into defensive stocks, which is my exact strategy at Euro-Pacific, which is buying gold stocks and buying defensive stocks. And now we're seeing some money 
beginning to flow into those sectors. And I believe it's going to be a, a torrent, right? We've just barely opened up the spigots pretty soon. I mean, the water is going to be gushing out of these overpriced momentum stocks out of the U.S. dollar into uh, these foreign stocks and, and, and inflation hedges, especially as the world wakes up to the amount of inflation that needs to be hedged. I mean, Trump is going to be basically calling for inflation as a panacea, as a policy. The Fed is going to be providing it. And, you know, when they are starting, when they start their next round of easing, they're doing it as inflation is accelerating, not as inflation is declining, as it's accelerating. And they're throwing gasoline on that fire. You know, I talked a lot about inflation too uh, with Joe Rogan on the podcast, which came out, I think, actually the same day I did my last podcast. I thought they were going to hold it till later in the week, but they released it sooner than uh, than I anticipated. But, you know, while I was on that podcast, I gave Joe Rogan a copy of my dad's book on inflation, The Kingdom of Malts. And I've talked about that book on on my podcast before. And I'm surprised, you know, that I still have copies left because I have uh, copies of the book. I, you know, initially I didn't have copies. I mean, I, you know, there were no copies around. The only way you were able to get them was, you know, to go on Amazon and or eBay and you could find copies, but they were selling them for a lot of money. I mean, $200 a pop or more for used copies of Kingdom of Malts. I mean, there were not very... Uh, many um, new copies of the Kingdom Malls around. And so I've been, you know, I've been selling these things for a couple years. And, you know, I'm surprised, A, that I still have any copies left. Also, I thought that, you know, the market might have come down more on the price, but not really. You could find some used ones that are as cheap as 25 bucks, but not that many copies of the used ones. I mean, there's one I see for $25, uh, but most of the used ones are $30 and up. I see one used one as high as $54 on on Amazon. But the new copies, uh, they haven't come down really at all. I mean, there's one new copy. One guy's trying to sell for $84. Another guy's got a copy for $91. But then you got $200, and then you got you got a, one guy trying to sell a copy of the Kingdom Malls for $693.28. Now, I don't know why anybody would be dumb enough to pay $693 for a new copy of that book because the copies that I'm selling are brand new, right? They, they were in boxes. I got them in a storage facility. And when I run out, they're gone. I mean, I already ran out of my dad's book, The Biggest Con, a long time ago. And I wish I still had copies of that book. I mean, there you just got to buy them from alternative sources. The few copies I have I don't want to part with because I want to keep them for myself. But I still have enough extra copies of the Kingdom of Malls that I'm going to sell them until I run out. But these, you know, these were printed maybe 20 years ago, but they're brand new, right? Because they've never been taken out of the box. So they look as good as the day that they were first printed. Uh, and of course, I sell my autograph them. So the only time they come out of the box is for me to sign them. Uh, so you get a signed copy of the book. And you can, uh, you know, buy a copy at shiftbooks.com while supplies last. I mean, I can't promise that you're going to get a copy, but I know we have some copies left. So uh, you can get an order in at shiftbooks.com. But I'm, I, I'm bringing this up because I, I gave a copy of the book to Joe Rogan. And the reason I gave it to Joe is I really wanted him to understand inflation and where it comes from and how it's created 
and why the government creates it and why the government lies about it. And I think it's a great little book to understand and explain inflation, which is going to be something that is going to be, you know, so dominating uh, the discussion in the years and, and decade ahead, which, you know, it's going to be much worse than the stagflation of the 1970s. That's when my dad wrote this book. In fact, the book was originally part of his book, uh, The Biggest Con. And the the publisher basically thought it was just too much and they edited the entire book out. And so it just didn't make it. And then later on, when my dad kind of started his own publishing company, Freedom Books, he decided to publish that story as its own independent book. And so The Kingdom of Malts was actually the first self-published book that my father wrote and published himself. But the version that I have is the reprint. The initial version came out in the 1970s, right? And that version, he was selling the book for $2.50. And by the time he republished it, you know, there was so much inflation that the price was up to 10 bucks. Now, you know, now we're selling it for 25 just to, you know, to reflect the additional inflation that has taken place over the years since since then. But also, you know, there's some scarcity on these books because I'm not printing anymore. I mean, what, the, what I've got is what I've got. And then, of course, it's just up to um, uh, the secondary market. I don't think many of the books that I have sold, certainly some of the books that I sold are back on the market because otherwise there would be no books for sale used. Because I think before I did that, you couldn't even buy a book for under 200. There was none of them for sale. Now, you know, obviously there's some because people have bought them and then maybe some people have decided to put them up on the market. But uh, I think it's a great book to hold on to. Let your kids read it and share it with other people who are going to be confused on this topic because this is going to be a big topic. And, you know, right now, I mean, the Fed is going to uh, pretend uh, that deflation is still a problem. In fact, believe it or not, and this should have been a bigger deal than it was, and I'm surprised, well, maybe not really surprised because nothing really surprises me these days, that the market did not react to this. But during the congressional testimony, one of the congressmen or senators, I forget, actually asked Powell which was his greater concern at this point, that inflation is too low or too high. or or And his answer was too low. I mean, we've got 2.9% year-over-year CPI, 3.4% year-over-year PPI, and the Fed is still worried more that there's not enough inflation than that there's too much. And the Fed is worried about inflation falling back down to lower numbers than it is continuing on the current trajectory to higher numbers. And given all that we're looking at, I mean, why somebody would be more worried? And why do you even worry? This whole thing is nonsense. Why should you worry about the cost of living going up more slowly? I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, if the cost of living actually went down, that would be even better. And especially Donald Trump. He's worried about interest rates going up. I mean, A, if he was really worried about interest rates, why is he picking a trade war with our biggest creditors? You know, one of the, the, the consequences of the trade war could be less demand for U.S. Treasuries from our trading partners. What does that mean? That means interest rates go up. But also, tariffs means that the dollar loses purchasing power domestically. Well, if the dollar is losing domestic purchasing power, then interest rates need to be higher to compensate dollar holders for that loss of purchasing power. Inflation premiums get built into interest rates. It's part of the curve. You know, everybody is talking about this inverted yield curve, and is the yield curve going to invert? What is the greater danger? 
is not that the yield curve inverts, but that it massively steepens, that long rates move up dramatically as investors start to price in much higher inflation expectations into the market. Remember, we can have a recession with inflation, stagflation. You're not going to have an inverted yield curve until the Fed gets serious about fighting inflation, which is not going to happen for some time. And then the Fed might invert the yield curve the way Volcker did by allowing short-term rates to get up to 20%. I mean, long-term rates never got anywhere near that high. I mean, the 10-year Treasury did get above 10%, but it never got to 20% because people did not believe that those high interest rates would persist over a 30-year period. Uh, But rates are going to be a lot higher before the Fed gets concerned enough about inflation to potentially invert the yield curve on purpose. But before it inverts, it is going to steepen, and that is what is going to catch everybody by surprise, but it is going to steepen in a recession. And of course, if the Fed does have to slam on the brakes, everything comes crashing down, right? We have a much worse uh, financial crisis than the one that we had in 2008. All the big banks that were too big to fail, that we bailed out, that are much bigger now, are going to be have to be allowed to fail. But it's not just going to be the banks uh, that are going to be allowed to fail. I mean, the government itself. I mean, Trump's going to have to take back his, his tax cuts. He's going to have to impose the largest tax hikes in U.S. history, right? If the dollar crisis begins while he's still president, right, how are we going to pay this debt? Either that or he's going to have to slash spending on entitlements and he's you know he's vowed not to touch entitlements or he's gonna have to cut spending on the military and he's be just increase that so what's he gonna do is he gonna default i mean he did tease about that remember as a candidate trump floated the trial balloon which got shot down right like the hindenburg he talked about defaulting on our debt right hey why not just default and you know you know he had he had to talk it back or walk back that language i mean just like you know he went on CNBC. I mentioned he was on that CNBC yesterday talking the dollar down. And then I guess some of his advisors said, hey, you shouldn't do that. And then he issued a statement basically after that where he said, I didn't mean that. The Fed is independent. I trust their judgment. And then, of course, the next morning, he's already tweeting again uh, his criticism of the Fed and, and of their policy. So I wouldn't put the put it past the president uh, to talk about defaulting on the debt, certainly if we just defaulted on our trading partners like the Chinese, which is one of the reasons that the Chinese should sell now. I mean, if we actually force the Chinese to blow out of their treasuries, we're doing them a favor. I mean, I understand the Russians have already sold down the vast majority of their U.S. Treasury holdings. That's great for the Russians. They got out of Dodge. The problem is the Chinese are still there. And if they knew what was good for them, they would be selling. And so would everybody else especially if you appreciate uh, the political box that the president is going to be in and the easy targets. Again, if you're going to take a populist mentality, why should we repay all the foreigners, right? If Trump is saying that these foreigners have screwed us over, that they haven't played fair. In fact, when he did the, the interview with Joe Kernan, he wanted to say they were effing us over. He wanted to use the F word. And he said that's a better word. But it was cable television, so he he wanted to be more wholesome, or it was television. And then Joe Kernan was like, hey, it's cable. If you want to say the F word, go right ahead. Uh, But, you know, Trump didn't do that. I guess guess there's some level that he doesn't want to stoop to in in being unpresidential. But he meant that. But if he believes that the world is effing us over, and they've been effing us over for years, then why not stiff them on their... uh, 
on th their bots. And you know what? Personally, personally, I agree. We should stiff them because we're broke. I mean, a lot of people are going to get stiffed. Everybody who trusted the U.S. government is going to get effed. That's the reality, right? The government's been effing everybody for years, so why should it change, right? But the thing is, we're broke. And the only way to solve our economic problems is to allow interest rates to rise to their natural level, which is much, much higher than it is now. And if that happens, it is impossible for the U.S. government to meet its obligations. So it has to live up to that reality and then ask everybody to make a sacrifice. And that includes holders of U.S. treasuries, which is why I don't hold any and I don't advocate that anybody holds any, because if you hold them, you're going to take a haircut just like the guys that own the Puerto Rican bonds. But you know what? It's not just going to be foreign creditors to take the haircut. It's going to be domestic creditors. It's going to be pension funds. It's going to be insurance companies in the United States, but it's not just going to be bondholders. It's going to be other creditors who are owed money from the U.S. government where the U.S. government has made commitments to pay. Retired government workers who are expecting a pension ain't going to get it. People who are expecting Social Security they ain't going to get that either. People who are expecting Medicare, not going to happen. I mean, there's going to be means testing. A lot of people that think they're going to get something from the government are going to get nothing. The government's not going to be able to bail out failed financial institutions or failed pension funds. So if your bank goes under and you have deposits... Well, you're just SOL, right? You're effed. That's what's going to have to happen if we're going to avoid hyperinflation, right? If we don't have the integrity to, to at least be honest and screw everybody, then they're really going to get screwed because it's going to be massive inflation. If, if we're going to try to pay everybody, if the Fed is going to print enough money so that nobody takes a haircut and everybody gets paid in full, then no one's going to get paid anything because they're going to get paid money that doesn't buy anything. And that, of course, is the worst possible scenario that could happen. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But either way, Everybody who has relied on and believed in the promises of the U.S. government is going to get effed. And the only thing you can do about it is protect yourself uh, as best you can by owning gold, by owning gold stocks, by owning foreign stocks, by getting out of the markets that are in the most trouble, that are the most exposed to the U.S. and to the U.S. empty promises and getting into the safe havens of the future when people realize that the dollar is not a safe haven, right? And they try to flee those assets in favor of what few safe havens are still standing. And the key is if you're there before the stampede, if you get into these other assets while the prices are low and out of the dollar while the exchange rate is so is still high, you preserve your wealth while everybody else is scrambling to preserve what's left of theirs.